The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to episode number 203 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are my own and that of my present or past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to a result of my current employment, and I will never knowing disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Well, I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday season. I know that I did, and I'm feeling very blessed. I'm very grateful for the many blessings that I have in my life. Um, I got to spend a lot of time with uh, family and friends and people I love. So hopefully you did too. And like any other year uh, in the the cybersecurity industry, cybercrime was always a major concern and was a major concern during the holiday season this year as well. And it was no different than any other year, Um, maybe even more so because of the massive move to remote workforce because of the pandemic. And, you know, things have changed. Um, There's sort of been a little bit of a pendulum swing back and forth with companies. And I think in sort of the culture of of some different companies uh, in different sectors, some of the more tolerable of the changes that have happened, uh, you know, during the pandemic and more flexible and some of them not. You know, as a as a side note, I was watching 60 Minutes yesterday and during the show, uh, they had a segment on the big quit. They called it the big quit. And there was like four and a half million, four and a half million people quit their jobs, you know, in relatively short amount of time <laughs> in the United States. And, and they wanted to know really why that was. And they had an executive on from LinkedIn and they were basically saying that they mentioned that before the pandemic, they estimated that one in every 67 jobs were remote. And now after the pandemic, it was like one in seven jobs are remote. And now that's a huge shift in the way companies think. And I know that some companies are like, you know, back to work, you know, there's a lot of back to work dates recently, you know, back to work, back to work. We're going back to work. Everyone's coming back to work. And uh, I know some companies are really strict about it and are telling people, Hey man, everyone's going to come back. And then there are other companies that are sort of seeing the light in my opinion, because I don't believe that uh, I, I believe now that the, the actually employees are in charge. Uh, you know, they have more leverage at this point. These employers really need, when you have four and a half million people quitting, maybe not in some of the sectors, you know, I guess they're talking about retail and hospitality, uh, healthcare, you know, those types of sectors were hit the worst. I mean, it's really the employer, it's the employees that have the power, right? I mean, if you're in the, in the healthcare sector, I don't know, you can't really work remote. Um, you have to be you know, taking care of patients and take care of people. So it's kind of a different job. But if you're in the cybersecurity space in healthcare, you probably can work remote. You, know, you probably still can work remote. And so I think still, I think those types of things apply in the cybersecurity uh, space, especially um, to, to, to the cybersecurity workforce. And I think they were saying, and I forget the numbers, and even those other numbers, I was sort of off the top of my head. So I hope they're right, but I think they are. They, they, they were saying that someone's like two and a half times more likely to look at a job if, they, if it has some flexibility 
in the in the position. So uh, I think that's really a big thing. I I, I don't I, I really don't see this changing. Um, they asked that to the 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 uh, LinkedIn employee. They asked, you know, do you see this changing? And they said, no, they don't see it changing anytime soon. And um, I, I happen to agree. I mean, people are learning a lot about themselves and about what they like. And it's amazing to me what, you know, how the pandemic has caused, it's actually forced people to reflect on their lives, on what makes them happy, right? And what makes them tick. And they talked about that. And they actually said that that was the case. And I actually do believe that's the case. I know it's the case in in my situation. Uh, I, I know it was the case for me. You know, the pandemic completely changed my entire life. Uh, completely good. The, the way I do everything, really. And, um, you know, it, it just I, it's just not the same. And, you know, we could get into a lot and maybe I'll, you know, do a different segment on that sometime. But, man, the amount of change that has happened in, in, in my life over the last, you know, 18 months has just been enormous. More change than ever. More change than ever uh, before. And so most of it, uh, very, very positive. I'm very happy uh, with some of the changes. I mean, uh, I'm luckily and blessed to have, you know, decent health right now. So I know everybody's struggling with that. A lot of people are getting sick. You know, Omicron is just, you know, going across the country right now. And I think one, and one day I had a million infections. And I think that's just what they know of, right? Probably a lot more, right? But um, anyway, it's just, there's so much going on. And, it's, and, and, and it, 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 affect, it does affect, you know, cybersecurity. And it does affect, you know, how we think about things and how we think about the job market and our careers and, and what we're doing with that and how we protect companies. And like, it's all interconnected, right? The holiday season is behind us now. And, but, you know, cybercrime was at the top of everyone's minds. And it's, I think it's time to reflect. And I thought this might be, you know, a good time to do that. You know, I th- people were really, really, you know, going to battle stations, you know, getting ready for the, the, the cybercrime I know was, was pretty rampant. Uh, over the over the holiday season, people very busy with outside of log four J, of course. I mean, log four J is just you know everyone, <laughs> everyone is just really just busy with that. Um, so I'm really aware of that. But I thought it'd be great to bring back my good friend and former colleague Robert Villanueva to the show. And uh, Robert currently leads the Cyber Threat Intelligence Division at Q6 Cyber. And he joined Q6 Cyber after 25 years of dedicated service in the United States Secret Service, where I, I worked with him. He's a former colleague of mine. Fantastic guy. This guy's a fantastic guy. I always love to have him on. He's one of the most well-liked and well-respected individuals I've ever had the pleasure of working with. Uh, he specialized in transnational cyber crimes, uh, access device fraud, network intrusions. He did, did some data uh, theft uh, breaches and things like that. Uh, during his tenure, uh, he was assigned to various different offices, including Miami, Europe, Latin America, and Washington, D.C., and he served both in the investigative and undercover capacities around the world with the Secret Service. Mr. Villanueva founded the United States Secret Service Cyber Intelligence Section, which coordinates global cyber operations, which is a really big deal, right? I mean, you're founding something like that. When you're a founder of a, of a capability like that, that is this now. Now it's sort of like standard quote, standard operating procedure in so many different places. But when you're the founding member, when you have the vision and foresight to create something like that, it's a really big deal. It's a really big deal. Big accomplishments, right? He also headed the U.S. Secret Service Miami Electronic Crimes Task Force, which counts 800 members from the private sector, academia, local law enforcement, et cetera, et cetera, federal law enforcement as well. So, uh, Mr. Villanueva has conducted extensive research on computer botnets and malware development and attributed to foreign actors, 
He has led numerous projects for the U.S. Secret Service in partnership with Stanford University, Carnegie Mellon, Carnegie Mellon University, and various other private sector companies. And that's just, that's just a real formal way of saying he really knows the cyber underground. He really understands how cyber organized crime groups work, how they operate, uh, how they collaborate with other groups, um, you know, in the TTPs. And he knows who the, who the threat actors are. So this type of stuff is like obviously incredibly valuable to to people in the cybersecurity industry because if you have an intelligence-led program, which everyone should at this point, yeah, you know, intelligence is really the tip of the spear and leads the way. And without it, you're just throwing darts at a board. I think I heard that someplace before. Mr. Villanueva presently serves as an advisor to the board of directors of various organizations and universities, including Florida International University, the Florida International Security Association, the Florida International Bankers Association, and the International Association of Financial Crimes Investigators. So this is going to be a great interview, folks. Let's get on with it. Robert, welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio. It's good to have you on, brother. It's great to be here, George. Thanks for having me. Hey, so we got a lot to talk about. I, I wanted to kick off the, the show by talking about cybercrime and some of the things that you might be seeing in cybercrime. We haven't talked about cybercrime on, on the show in a, in a while. So this is going to be a great show uh, to sort of catch up on that domain in cybersecurity. You've seen an increase in cybercrime over the past couple of years? Uh, most definitely. Most definitely. Uh, it's definitely on the rise. Uh, all types of new types of cybercrime. But due to basically, you know, COVID and the pandemic, we've seen a dramatic increase in cybercrime. Uh, really? As you know, mo yeah, most people are working from home, right, teleworking, uh, not only in the United States, but all over the globe, right, because of COVID fears and the pandemic. So we've seen the threat actors uh, use that as an opportunity to infect more and more computers worldwide with different types of malware variants to basically uh, victimize folks uh, who are working from home and uh, basically owning them, their computer, and their networks. So that's pretty interesting. So you're saying there's been an increase just because people have been online more? I mean, what's the, what's the attack vector that they're using uh, right now to, to commit this cybercrime against folks? Yeah, it's mostly your, your standard phishing emails for the most part. Um, we've seen a, lot, uh, a dramatic increase in phishing emails. Uh, of course, for folks who click on that link or on that attachment. Also, smishing, too, by the way, on their cell phones. Also, in you know, the link. But the link is usually the key, how they infect and the main vector, how they're infecting uh, computers and devices around the globe. Um, and then their main uh, objective, uh, and most of this malware, by the way, is Eastern European, coming over from Eastern Europe and Eurasia, is to collect all types of credentials, uh, basically usernames, passwords, try to uh, penetrate the environment, the network environment of that corporation or that individual, that family to do account takeovers, right? Steal money, financial gain. So again, it's very uh, prolific, um, very um, uh, aggressive in their tactics, very uh, creative when it comes to new emails from us, new formats, uh, and try to lure people to, you know, again, be infected so they could then uh, take advantage of them. So it used to be that people using their cell phones, it was a lot safer to use your cell phones than it was to use your laptop to, to check email and things like that. But it, that's not the case anymore, or is it? Or is it still the case? Is it still safer? No. But, you know, you just mentioned, you know, people are getting attacked on their cell phones now a lot too. Yes, most definitely. You know, most folks, you know, in the world have Android devices. So we've definitely seen an uh, increase in Android uh, uh, type malware 
directed to Android devices because the majority of the world, you know, uh, has Android devices, just like they use the, the Windows operating system. So uh, again, um, we've seen that again, in besides that they also target iPhones, right? Yeah. Um, but they're not as um, targeted as Android devices, but they're still being targeted. But again, it's mostly through text messaging. Uh, so beware of uh, you know those text messages that you don't know who they're from, and they're they have an attached link. Right. I, I you know I, I just got one the other day, or it says you know click on this link, you know AT and T fifty percent off of your you know your bill, and I just looked at it, and it's just you know it, it it's there's there's fraud just rampant on the on the on the on the text now too. I think it's just a matter of numbers, but it's. You know, um, it's interesting to know that uh, the iPhones are less targeted just because there's less less of them, probably, obviously, in the, and it's a matter of numbers, right? This is a numbers game, right? If you throw more, the more numbers you throw at it, it's just a matter of time before someone clicks on a link or someone does something, and it's, it's still just a numbers game. Are we making any headway in educating the public, educating companies uh, in the dangers of these different attack vectors? I mean, or is the same percentage of people still falling for the phishing attack that did, you know, two years ago? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. So, you know, again, as I indicated, they're being, being very aggressive uh, with all types of uh, malware deployments and campaigns. Many different variants coming in basically on a daily basis. It's very hard to keep up with the different variants. Most of these are credential grabbing malware for the most part. So, you know, they're, they're again, used to steal and record uh, basically key log any type of credential information. So <clears throat> a lot of people use their apps on their phone, for instance. So they're aware of that. So certain keywords that the uh, malware key off and it'll basically collect information from different types of applications that are being used for like financial institutions, for instance. So as soon as that URL is opened uh, with that link from the financial institution, it's recording the username, password, uh, even the IP of the phone, uh, you know, some of the cookies in the phone. So again, they're being very aggressive and directing a lot of, uh, of the malware deployment is directed toward the financial sector in general to be able to collect information from the financial sector. But unfortunately, George, a lot of folks that also work for the financial sector are working from home. And uh, therefore, sometimes they don't have the same security measures and protocols in place where their devices, with their machines, their computers, that they're, they're, they would have at, at a workstation, uh, especially in the beginning of the pandemic. A lot of, a lot of corporations and financial institutions were not ready for this transition of people teleworking. So again, unfortunately, you know, uh, machines weren't patched, antivirus wasn't uh, going on, and a lot of folks weren't even using a VPN in many cases, which is uh, very, very concerning. So the threat actors took advantage of that and were targeting um, folks working from home from the pandemic. Uh, because of the pandemic, you know, we saw, you know, we have a lot of clients uh, at Q6 that uh, are European clients. So we, you know, initially when, you know, and after March, 2020, when the pandemic started hitting Europe, especially Italy, we saw them targeting Italians and the country of Italy itself with mass spamming campaigns. Uh, again, to infect devices and machines, millions and millions of phishing emails, and then eventually migrated over to North America and South America now, uh, last year uh, for the same purpose, of course. But again, they've been following, the, uh, unfortunately, COVID and taking advantage of people's fears, concerns, and lack of preparedness by working from home. Interesting. You know, do you, do you think every, everything is any, well, do you think it's ever going to go back to the pre-COVID days of, you know, that, that status quo and cybercrime and, what, and what's going on? Or this is sort of the new, this is the new normal 
forever. I think it's the new normal. I don't think nothing's going away. Um, people are taking advantage again of, of people working from home. A lot of people work mm-hmm. from home. A lot of, a lot of uh, companies now have people working from home. Um, they don't even want them to come into the office, you know. So we're seeing a lot of that, especially up in the Northeast, out West in California as well. A lot of tech, tech companies now offer uh, work from home to their employees and people are comfortable now working from home. And again, they're going to take advantage of that any way they can. So again, uh, proper uh, cyber hygiene and security of your machines and devices is, is essential from working from home. Again, those patches, no matter how inconvenient they come in or the time they come in, make sure your machines are patched up, your operating system, your antivirus is up to date and be very prudent and very careful in getting any unwanted and solicited uh, emails from unknown individuals, even for people, you know, by the way, you be right. careful what you click on. That's the, that's the key. Yeah. You got to look at those domains. You got to look at the header information, you know, a little bit off topic, but you know, I really thought there was going to be a migration to Miami of a lot of these financial institutions a, a year ago when they started talking about, you know, wall street South and, you know, people like Goldman Sachs moving some of their operations down to, to Miami, but it never really came to fruition. It never really happened. And now that we're you know, going back into winter and, and it seems like we're having um, another, you know, sort of COVID outbreak of a different, um, uh, a different kind than a year ago, even, even worse in some respects. Uh, do you think that's going to pick up again? Do you think, have you heard anything from any of your clients that, hey, look, they want to move operations uh, down south to Miami? Uh, or Actually, uh, yes. Yes, have. I have. Yes, we have. We've actually heard that um, a lot of our uh, clients in the Northeast uh, are opening offices in Miami. A lot of clients from out West also in the West Coast also opening offices in Miami, especially when it comes to folks in the, in the crypto uh, industry, right? The cryptocurrency industry and blockchain technology industry. They're opening offices in, in the Miami area. And, and our uh, uh, mayor, my, uh, Suarez down in Miami, is very crypto friendly. He's actually the nationwide uh, crypto mayor, they call him now, huh. because uh, he's so tech friendly and he's encouraging those type of con- uh, companies, uh, whether it's crypto uh, cur- currency companies or NFT companies to open offices in the Miami area. And they are coming. We have seen them uh, opening offices in various locations uh, throughout the, um, the Miami area. Wow, that's interesting. And it's exciting, too, to be honest with you. I mean, I love Miami. I mean, I don't know if it's the second or third largest uh, financial a hub in the United States, I think, was the New York, uh, Charlotte, and Miami. Uh, obviously, New York being the number one, but I forget who is number two and three. But I know it's uh, Charlotte and uh, in Miami. I just don't know the order. But very interesting. You know, you mentioned Eurasian malware too, and and you you talked about it for a, a, a second there. How does the Eurasian malware development affected cybercrime? Is there are they doing certain things when they develop these um, these malware? Um, you know, instances or what, 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 what are they doing and how is it really affecting it? Is it, is it moving in a different direction or is it easier to pick up? Is it harder to pick up? Yeah, I know they're, they're, it's a little bit harder to pick up nowadays because um, obviously the sophistication of it, it's, uh, they're becoming a little bit uh, smarter the way they actually design the different malware variants, but also the volume, the amounts. I mean, like I mentioned before, um, their mal- malware is being developed on a daily basis, and there's so many variants, it's really hard to keep up with, especially for the big uh, tech firms. Um, all different types of vulnerabilities that are being found also in operating systems. You know, that's why, you know, folks like Microsoft has, they have Patch Tuesday, right? Right. Every week, it's for a reason. <laughs> but yeah. again, we're seeing these guys, and many of these malware developers, um, you know, again, are spe- have specific skill sets 
they're educated in um, and have degrees when it comes to computer technology, computer engineering, PhDs and master's degrees. So very sophisticated, educated folks, really? which work in Eastern Europe on a, uh, sometimes with a real job and not making a right. lot of money, and the, they're making their money by you know malicious activity, working with different types of folks in selling these different mar- malware variants, so then they can penetrate the, our networks in the United States of America. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. I think that's really interesting. Back in the day when you and I were doing battle with the Secret Service against the cyber organized crime groups. That wasn't really the case. I kind of thought a lot of these guys were self-taught. They stayed home all day. This is what they did, you know, day in and day out. I didn't really feel like most of them had day jobs, although certainly some of them did. And we know, you know, we know who they are. And, and you know, they work for some big companies, um, you know, Fortune 500 companies, some top 10 financial institutions. You know, we, we've seen that before. But for the most part, I kind of felt like they were just, you know, self-taught. Uh, sort of, uh, in some cases, loners sitting in a dark room at the computer screen for hours and hours and hours on end. Uh, and uh, But now you're saying that these people that today, they're educated, they have advanced degrees, they have real jobs, and this is sort of like their, their, their part-time day job where they make their real money. Yeah, George, those were the good old days when you had folks, <laughs> you know, when you and I were at the Secret Service and, you know, it was a little bit different, you know. Um, uh, folks are a little bit more isolated. Now, now you have folks with specific uh, skill sets. So malware writers, again, are that's, their, that's what they're dedicated to. And again, many of these folks actually have real jobs. I mean, we've seen people actually at, as university professors, believe it or not, um, teaching about uh, wow. computer science during the day and at the night they're malware writers. So, um, you know, these folks, again, have specialties and that's what they're, they're, they're working on. Many of these folks now eventually will quit their day job and just do cybercrime. And again, they, they have specific skill sets, just, you know, the, the malware writers write the malware. Then you have folks who actually do the intrusions, you know, they do the penetration and they're more like the hackers as people will call them. Um, and they will sell the malware basically to the hackers to deploy the hacker through phishing campaigns, get the infections. And they're the, they're the ones who have the bond nets and the sophisticated uh, malware infrastructure set up to be able to then collect the information, whether it's PII information or a credential information that's stolen from millions of people through these botnets, and they send them back to con- command and control servers in which they actually parse through the data and either utilize the data themselves through the different groups, the threat actor groups, or they would actually sell the data in different dark web forums. Many are private forums uh, that are run by these individuals. And in these forums, they have vendors, you know, basically salesmen who will go on here and sell the data for them. And then you have the end users who will actually, you know, be deployed to utilize the data, exploit the data, and then give the funds back all the way up the chain to the vendors, to the hackers, and to the malware writers. So it's, again, one vicious circle, um, no, no boundaries. And by the way, we've seen a lot of international cooperation. It's no longer regional or by language. So we've seen, for instance, uh, Russian malware writers actually selling data to uh, folks who speak English, for instance, in the U.S. or in the U.K. or Canada. And then they will be deploying you know, and hacking into systems. And then that data, once it's stolen, is being purchased by individuals in South America who speak Spanish. So again, uh, on these forums, some of them are multilingual, and they're being utilized by uh, folks from different uh, regions of the world. So it's no longer regional like it used to be when we were there at Secret Service. So is, is our account takeover still prevalent? Is that the main goal here, take over the account and empty it? 
as soon as yeah. possible. <laughs> yeah, when it comes to financial gain, again, we're talking specifically about folks who are motivated by financial gain. We're not talking about nation states here right, right. or folks who are actually after intellectual property, for instance, like China, of course, uh, or uh, folks who are after national secrets of the U.S. from defense contractors. The folks in the threat actors I'm talking about are specifically meant uh, you know, to deploy malware for financial gain. They want to enrich their pockets by stealing money and stealing from the U.S. and U.S. citizens. Again, stealing from the West. We see that, that over and over again. But again, it's no longer regional. They're cooperating internationally, right? So we see a lot of, for instance, malware writers deploy malware into South America from Eastern Europe. Well, obviously, they're going to be collecting information from folks and victims who speak Spanish and from financial institutions in South America, which, again, we have many financial clients uh, in South America. So, again, they're stealing uh, credentials and account information and also payment card information like debit cards or credit cards from these victims in South America. So once they sell the information, a lot of times those Eastern Europeans, once the information is collected, then they'll sell it back to folks in South America the cyber criminals in South America to exploit the data regionally. So again, it sheds a little bit um, less light on the, uh, the actual criminal gang. So real quick, before we take a break here, do, do you have a number of how much cyber crime is committed in the United States per year right now in terms of dollars? Is there a number out there? Well, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Billions. And we're talking about each uh, basically sector. So for instance, the, the uh, compromised credit and debit card Payment card industry, that's a multi-billion dollar fraud industry. Account takeovers, the same thing, a multi-billion dollar industry. And when it comes to ransomware, now we're talking uh, many billions of dollars because that's the latest thing that's happening. And that's going to be escalating this year, 2022. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, folks. And then we'll be right back with our special guest, Executive Vice President at Q6 Cyber, Mr. Robert Villanueva. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio. The voice of cybersecurity. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Synet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Synet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Synet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Synet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. 
By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the Executive Vice President of Q6 Cyber, Mr. Robert Villanueva. So, Robert, um, we were talking about cybercrime in the first segment, and I just want to continue that, that conversation throughout the episode. I want to get to um, the recruiting of money mules. And I want to ask you, are, are, are serious threat actors using mules in the United States to launder illicit funds? Because I know they use these type of mules in a variety of different ways. They, and they have different capacities and, and different types of um, crime schemes. But uh, I wanted to see what, uh, what you're seeing these days. Yes, George, mo- most definitely. We've seen, again, um, again, past couple of years, due to COVID, a dramatic, dramatic increase in the use of mules and mules in, uh, with U.S. bank accounts, established bank accounts in the United States. Um, they're actually advertising, a lot of these threat actors, mostly Eastern European, uh, on different job sites, like work from home sites, like monster.com and Indeed, for instance. Really? So they advertise a legitimate, allegedly a legitimate job opportunity by working with an international company, and they'll actually uh, recruit people that way and they have groups of people doing this these threat actors and vetting these mules one by one to see what type of mule they could be what type of account how old the account is if it's an established account because of course they'd rather use a, an established account than opening a new account because that would again flag the account so they use an established account and unfortunately a lot of people uh, we know during COVID were especially in the restaurant and hotel business and all that were laid off or were working, you know, we're not working. So they were in need. So they were answering these, these ads and getting online and, and then uh, subsequently op- uh, utilizing their own personal bank accounts as business accounts for the Eastern Europeans. So they were basically doing an account takeover of another account, these threat actors, and then funnel the money through the mule account and, uh, uh, have them basically take 20% for their, you know, for their work. And then the, the other 80% was sent overseas by these mules. Most of them were unknowingly, supposedly, but the majority, you know, um, they knew what they were doing, but they kind of looking the other way. But eventually they're, they're getting caught and these accounts are being closed down. But um, mo- both credit unions and the U.S. And, and, and the banks were experiencing the, type, the same type of fraud. And it's still going on, still to this day. And we've seen not only that, a dramatic 
increase in reshipping mules, they call them. And these are mules that are basically being utilized. Uh, and these are home addresses, for instance, for reshipping scams, meaning a threat actor overseas will purchase an, an item from, say, Amazon or Walmart or something like that online with a fictitious credit card. It'll go through. The item is shipped, right? A stolen credit card, I should say. And the item is shipped to the mule, and then they reship the item back overseas, right, to the threat actor so they can sell it, especially like laptop computers like Apple and Macs and stuff like that. Those are, those are very prevalent items for reshipping purposes. But again, we at Q6 are able to monitor these mule networks uh, and their infrastructure and these threat actors and are able to identify a lot of these mules by name. And there's thousands of them, especially over the holidays. We saw a significant increase in reshipping mules and money mules being utilized by these threat actors in Eastern Europe. So I got a lot of questions here because, you know, you just, you know, brought back a lot of memories about, you know, uh, some of the investigations we did and some of these mules that we found. I used to find back in the day that a lot of these people, they weren't very sophisticated. Okay. Um, a lot of them maybe have been immigrants, hadn't used English as a second language, weren't used to the culture here. Uh, we're engaging people with all kinds of, you know, job opportunities that maybe, you know, pro- might not have been legitimate. I'm not sure they had a real big grasp of Title 18 or the laws here, or even really understood what money laundering meant, right? I mean, some of these people really, if you ask them, hey, do you ever hear money laundering? And they're like, no, nah, I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> you know? So yeah. a lot of these people, I think back in the day, you know, they weren't, you know, they were unwittingly participating in these criminal schemes. And sure, but if you look at the letter of the law, did they commit a crime? You know, probably, but I never got really too excited about prosecuting these people when I used to talk to the prosecutors and be like, hey, look, you know, this is a rock solid case. You know, we got the numbers. I said it's rock solid because they have no idea what they're doing. They have no intent. Like if you, if you told that some of these people, hey, look, do you know you're committing a felony that you're going to go to jail for over a year for? I'm sure they'd probably just start crying and so I say, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. Some of them don't really don't think about it. I know that, you know, some people out there are probably listening to this and probably saying, come on, man, it's the most gullible thing I've ever heard. But obviously I've been in law enforcement for a very long time and I've seen this a lot and I have a lot of experience in this space and I found that that is the case sometimes. Sometimes that is the case. Now today, you're saying that um, a lot of them do know what they're doing. I mean, but if you go to Indeed, if I go to monster.com, am I really looking to participate in a criminal scheme by looking for a job on Monster? I think that's the first thing. And the second thing is, okay, once you're, once you, you know, some of these people probably say, oh, I, you know, I've, I feel like this is kind of wrong. Like it doesn't feel right. I mean, it doesn't seem like I'm going to take something. I'm going to repackage it. I'm going to ship it, you know, and <laughs> I'm basically acting as a middleman. They're getting me some kind of line that who knows what they're saying. Obviously, Monster and Indeed aren't picking up on it. Uh, I don't know if they're taking these down or what, but, you know, what are your thoughts on prosecuting these mules? Do you see them being prosecuted a lot or do you see the sort of the same thing that's saying, hey, look, this is not really the people we want to get. We want to get the, you know, the people behind the mules, the, the mule network. Yeah. So um, just to be clear, right, they're using Monster.com and Indeed and, and those different types of vectors for, for job opportunities, basically to facilitate their criminal activity, right? I'm not saying right. that they're colluding or anything else, right? They're oh, using no, that platform. Picking up on it. Like monsters, like if, if they're yeah. constantly doing it, obviously monster and indeed aren't like recognizing these job descriptions as not being legitimate, right? They keep coming right. up. Well, they, they're very professionally made, George. I mean, they're, they're, they have marketing and advertising, a legitimate uh, place many times. They have secretaries answering the phones. So these folks, when they're applying for these jobs, they think they're legitimate jobs many times. Right, so right. some people are fooled, right? And, you know, are obviously, you know, in need. Because again, back to COVID, that's what a lot of people were, you know, unemployed, working from home, laid off. 
And, you know, again, a lot of places were closed down. A lot of restaurants were closed down. A lot of um, waitresses and waiters were unemployed. So we saw a lot of activity, especially 2020, um, with mule activity in 2021 when it came to these you know, mule accounts being open. But again, they're going on there and they at first may not know, but then eventually they're going to know and they're going to look just look the other way. They're, right. you know, they, they could claim, but again, the intent, as you know, that's what needs to be proven. Um, but many of them do have the intent and some have been prosecuted. We have seen some pros- uh, federal prosecutions last year hmm. of money mules by both the Secret Service and, and the FBI. Um, but again, it's very, very significant. So, oh, excuse me about that. There's a jet just went by my, my place. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, That's U.S. Nice. military, right, right near me. So <laughs> keeping our skies safe. Oh, I love jet. it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting about, you know, um, these prosecutions, you know, because I know, you know, in some ways I kind of feel like, yeah, well, it's part of the criminal network and it's part of taking it down and disrupting these schemes, but how much are you really disrupting it and then – you know, are you really are you really impacting you know the bad guys? I mean, you know, getting these people or who are kind of like caught up in it. Down, I guess there's very little. They probably prosecute the most extreme, you know, mules, right? I'm assuming these people are. Yes, of know, course. Obviously, they know they know exactly what they're doing, and they're yeah, yeah. You want to take down the mule. Yeah, the yeah. mule network, George. You want to take down the entire mule network, as you know. Right. You want to get back to the you know the main uh, threat actors in in who actually established the mule network. But the key is to identify them and be able to identify them proactively before the fraud occurs. So that's the approach we do take at Q6. Uh, be able to do this again, just within the Secret Service, being proactive and not reactive to the fraud, getting right. ahead of the fraud. So naming them, identify them, naming the accounts. That is crucial. That's so important. But again, that that saves financial institutions billions of dollars every year. Yeah, I mean, how impactful uh, was it over the over the holiday season? You know, when when fraud being committed against these e-commerce sites and the and the, the you know the impact that the mules these mule networks had. What did you see over the you know the holiday season over the last thirty days? Yeah, no, no, it's gone. It went up dramatically during the holiday seasons because everybody's shipping, of course, gifts. Um, a lot of people are going online and making purchases online, so everything, everything you know, is going up that far. And they use that opportunity again to commit fraud and having these reshipping schemes um, for these mules. So again, uh, and all the stores, all the e-commerce stores are are getting victimized. Is that one in particular? By the way, all of them have money mules, right? The most prevalent American ones, of course are the ones that are, you know, being utilized, you know, especially when you have certain trends, like for instance, you know, Oculus, for instance, very popular, right? Uh, Gift, right? During Christmas. So a lot of folks were, you know, doing that type of shipping schemes with, with those, uh, with those Oculus goggles, because, you know, again, they're very popular. So they were sending them out in mass and these mules were, you know, taking um, advantage of that. So again, um, they, they, they pray usually during the holidays, as you know, fraud always goes up. And now in January, we're just trying to catch up now and come January, February, we're going to see the statistics on how bad it was, but you'll uh, see a lot of fraud committed during the holidays. Yeah. I was going to ask you if it was any different than the last uh, few years in terms of the holiday season, but I guess you're right. Those numbers haven't come in yet. It's too early. And, you know, it's probably so much harder to, you know, pick up on uh, what the mules are doing during the holidays because everybody's shipping everything. Especially now. I mean, it's kind of funny because I drove by the mall and it's empty during the holiday season. Like there's mm-hmm. parking spaces and everything. Like I've, you used to never be able to go near the mall during the, during the holiday right? season. You couldn't get a parking space, man. People parking on the grass, people walking. Like now it's, you know, half or, or almost three quarters of the parking lot's empty. 
Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. Nobody, no, everybody shops online. I mean, yeah. most, majority of my, my gifts during the holiday season were online. I didn't go to store. I didn't go to store. I mean, uh, I really don't have much time because I'm always working, but you know, still, I mean, myself, my family, everybody purchases stuff online. Yeah, it is. It is really convenient. I mean, you just got to get out ahead of it. As long as you do it early enough, you should get everything. Um, exactly. Yeah. You know what? So, uh, you know, thinking back over this last year, ransomware was mentioned a few times in the news. <laughs> I think oh, anybody yeah. listening to this show has probably heard their share of ransomware. Uh, I wanted to get your take and Q6 take on ransomware and where we're going with it. Yeah. Ransomware is not going away. It's only going to be escalating. I mean, we saw uh, various attacks last year, some of which were in the press, right? Um, very significant attacks against different types of infrastructure. Many cities in the United States, smaller cities and municipalities, police departments were getting hit with ransomware, right? And, you know, when they're freezing up your computer, your network, and your hard drive, basically, and holding your information for hostage, because that's basically what it is, um, you're going to pay. You're going to pay whatever you can if you're not backing up that information, which, by the way, everybody should be doing is backing up their information to a remote location and make sure the backup works. Um, they, they are going to be deploying different types of malware variants. Most, most of these variants are, you know, the most popular ones like our TrickBot, which are still very popular. Uh, and it's still uh, alive and well, no matter what nobody says and who claims to have taken it down. TrickBot is still out there. Uh, a lot of different malware groups are utilizing it, as well as Emotet and Ryok. So they're you know probing networks, infecting them. Basically, they're infecting the network first, so their machines with malware, seeing who they are, seeing if they're good targets, if they're viable targets. They'll actually look up their assets and their revenue to see if it's a major U.S. corporation or a smaller corporation. We see them talking, by the way, these threat actors, and then deciding whether or not to deploy the ransomware attack. And at that time is, um, you know, once you have ransomware, then, you, you know, you got to basically pay in Bitcoin or Litecoin or Monero, whatever cryptocurrency they're demanding, or else you're not going to get your information back. Um, and the bad thing is, you know, when they, you know, these folks pay, which a lot of people do, and it, they not, it goes very, very underreported, by the way. Another multi-billion dollar industry, fraud industry. Once they pay, they'll come back six months later and they'll do it again because they know they paid the first time. So unfortunately, it's an ever-growing uh, cybercrime uh, uh, you know, activity that's not going to be uh, going away anytime soon. It's only going to escalate over the uh, next couple of years. Uh, again, we're seeing more and more machines getting compromised with this type of malware. And the key, like, just like I said, with the mule activity and the account takeovers is to get in ahead of time, knowing if the machines are infected, how they're infected before the ransomware attack happens. So that's something that you need to know and be ahead of. And that's something we do at Q6 all the time too, is detect machines that have been infected worldwide with these different types of malware variants. Uh, very interesting. You know, I, and I think about, you know, ransomware, I think it is a matter of numbers too. They're sending a lot of, you know, these, you know, these emails out, these, you know, a lot of phishing attacks, like you said, and that's how they're, they're, they're getting a hold of these networks. Um, but uh, also it's the sophistication, you know, I mean, a lot of people are getting hit twice. You know, first they're getting their information stolen, right? And then they're actually getting their information encrypted as well. So they have a choice of not only, you know, paying to get their, their, their information back, but also paying to make sure that everyone else doesn't have the information that they can't get to anymore. I mean, do you still see a lot of that going on? 
Well, yes, that's a one-two punch for sure. Yeah, yeah, They'll for steal sure. their credentials and their information first, and after it is stolen and they're harvesting and, and again uh, selling, reselling the information or trying to utilize it, then they encrypt the devices and the networks, um, and then they will again uh, ask for the ransomware, the Bitcoin. I mean, again, it's a, it's a multi-billion-dollar fraud industry. Uh, record attacks last year. It's been escalating every year, you know, per FBI statistics on a yearly basis, and it's not going to be going away. I mean, it's, it's a, a very profitable and lucrative uh, cybercrime industry for these threat actors. All right. So I kind of think, um, you know, when I see, when I hear, I heard some recent law enforcement victories, they were able to get back the ransomware that was paid, you know, afterwards. Yes. You know, what do you think about that? How, and how substantial are those victories? No, no, those are, those are quite substantial because, you know, um, the, the thing about these, these threat actors they will um, demand payment usually in Bitcoin, right? And maybe Litecoin or, or different type of cryptocurrencies like that um, because it's very easy to fo- now folks to obtain Bitcoin now, more than it was a few years ago. Um, so they, you're able to trace the blockchain. So again, uh, a lot of people think that Bitcoin is anonymous still to this day, but it's not, it's not, you know. Um, you could trace it. You could actually find out where the payments, you know, um, were sent to, which addresses were sent to, because it's a, a permanent, um, uh, irreversible uh, ledger that gets documented on the Bitcoin blockchain, for instance. So, and, and all the blockchains are pretty much the same, with exception of a couple. And you'll be able to again trace the money that way. And then once you identify who the address belongs to, right, then you could again uh, seize the monies that way. Because eventually they have to cash out into a, a some sort of a payment account to be able to uh, take out the, you know, the dollars or euros, whatever they demanded the payment. Do you think you, in your view, uh, are, are corporations, companies, are they starting to understand the threat or are they starting to protect themselves against that specific threat? Are, are they having yes. like ransomware assessments? And they are. You're seeing people yes. smart enough. Yes. Okay. Yes. We're getting daily calls from companies, not only trying to find out, you know, if their devices or machines are infected with malware variants, but also they're being more proactive. Again, getting ahead of it, um, testing their networks, doing penetration testing to see what, you know, what kind of malware is on their systems, um, closing vectors, you know, of, of uh, in, uh, ingress into a system, basically making sure that they cannot go in uh, different ports, for instance, in their network that don't, don't need to be, be open. Um, so they're being more more proactive against this this type of activity. Also, educating their employees, letting them know, you know, um, and also um, basically uh, mitigating a lot of the fraud or potential fraud by limiting who has access to certain privileges within the network, which also cuts basically the lifeline when it comes to a malware attack, right? All right, Robert, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with our special guest, the Executive Vice President of Q6 Cyber, Mr. Robert Villanueva. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. 
By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the Executive Vice President of Q6 Cyber, Mr. Robert Villanueva. So, Robert, I want to talk a little bit about cryptocurrencies because they were really big back in the day. I believe they still are. And I wanted to see what your thoughts were and what you're seeing out there to see if they're still being utilized for ransomware attacks and some of the new attack vectors that we see going on, just like they, they were back in the day. I know we have a whole bunch of different you know, cryptocurrencies out there. What, which one is the... Uh, the, the preferential one that the criminals are using. What are you seeing out there? Yeah, by far, we're still seeing um, Bitcoin actually as the preferred method of uh, ransomware payment by these threat actors uh, because it's most common and most easily accessible and most folks know how to use it. We are seeing some Litecoin as well, Monero too being utilized by some of these uh, threat actors, but the majority are Bitcoin transactions. Um, and cryptocurrencies are, are here to stay, by the way. Uh, there's a lot of them. Um, you actually go on CNBC now and you see the Bitcoin and Ethereum tickler on a daily basis, right? Showing the price of both uh, cryptocurrencies. So a lot of folks also, hedge funds, for instance, have been investing in it, as well as major financial institutions are actually mining it, you know, a lot of folks. Um, so it's not going to, it's going to just be uh, ever increasing and ever be utilized more on a daily basis. But again, it facilitates uh, cryptocurrencies, you know, uh, I'm not uh, saying they're bad. They're actually very, very good in my opinion. Uh, but just facilitate uh, the fact that, you know, you can make a transaction peer-to-peer very really quickly. So that's why they're being used, utilized by cyber criminals, right? 
for that mere fact. It's very easy to do a, a transaction between two, two entities uh, without any kind of middleman. So that's why they're using it. So is, is it anonymous, this transaction, this peer-to-peer transaction? No, 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 not at all. Um, you know, just because it's peer-to-peer doesn't mean it's anonymous. It goes on a blockchain, right? That's right. the underlying technology for Bitcoin and most cryptocurrencies, yeah. uh, depending on what type of, of crypto it is. Uh, but that blockchain is a recorded ledger, which records each and every transaction that occurs uh, around the world, right, on a daily basis. So, these, you know, there's thousands of different servers that actually have the blockchain for, for Bitcoin, for instance, throughout the world. So it's a permanent record. It's, it's not going to go away. So again, they're not anonymous. Um, you know, the, the wallet address is basically a, a multi-character numeric, alphanumeric, um, you know, uh, number that, that that's how you identify the actual account. The key is who's behind the account. Yeah, so how hard right? is that? No, it's not hard. It's not, it's not that difficult. Uh, once you take proper uh, measures to be able to you know, trace that account, the origins, where it originated from. Many times they originate from actual an exchange, believe it or not, a cryptocurrency exchange, which has you know, got some KYC on the folks. So many times it's that easy. Other times it's more challenging, depending on what kind of wallet. It was a software wallet. Uh, and not, not coming from an exchange, but you know, for the, the majority of the of the time, you can't trace uh, the majority of these Bitcoin transactions. So, um, for folks who think this it's anonymous, it's far from anonymous. It's actually one of the worst ways you can actually um, launder any kind of money, right? Uh, I would say the U.S. dollar is more anonymous when it comes to tracing than a, a cryptocurrency transaction. So how many, how many people are they identifying? How many bad guys are getting identified through their use of Bitcoin? A lot or? Well, um, you know, cryptocurrencies are used for, for a variety of different types of payment, you know, through from fraud schemes. So on the shops and forms, for instance, when they're selling uh, stolen data, they'll require usually cryptocurrencies, whether it's Bitcoin, Litecoin, like I said, um, Ethereum sometimes as well. They're all being utilized, but again, Bitcoin seems to be the most popular because it is the oldest and most most uh, known. Um, so yeah, they're all utilizing different types of cryptocurrencies to for 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 fraud, right? But at the same token, people are buying homes now with uh, Bitcoin, buying cars, yachts, all sorts of items around the world with cryptocurrencies. Um, so again, it's something that's going to be uh, ever increasing industry, uh, and it's not going away. And uh, you mentioned before earlier during the segment around about um, a lot of these folks moving down to Miami. A lot of these folks are startups. I'm seeing a lot of startups that are involved in the cryptocurrency industry opening in Miami. Huh. Interesting. So, you got any advice on best practices and how to avoid being a cyber uh, crime victim for our listeners? I mean, what's the what's the, the some of the things that they should do to make sure that they're not the low hanging fruit for the bad guys? Yes, yes. Be very cautious always when you're online, no matter where you're at. Be, be careful what sites you visit, by the way, because eighty percent of the compromised uh, devices occur from phishing emails, right? for the most part, uh, but the other 20% are usually from websites that have been, again, hacked actually by threat actors and they inject um, all types of malware into you know the actual site itself and they'll infect computers that way. These are usually small, small sites, e-commerce sites, 
um, some uh, you know bad sites which are not very popular, unethical sites, that type of thing. So again, you have to be very careful with that. But you know, be very careful again with um, your computer, your device. Make sure your updates are uh, always you know updated with your software, with uh, all your applications. Also, uh, make sure your updates for your antivirus are happening uh, all the time, no matter how convenient they occur. And with this, you'll at least be able to mitigate some of the um, risk out there. But using your head and not clicking on that link, again, from that email of uh, someone you do not know, no matter what the subject line says, how attractive it may be or what kind of discount they're offering, do not click on those links because that's, again, how they're going to affect your computer. So be prudent, right? Be smart and think, think before you click. So, Robert, I don't want to end without asking you what, what Q6, Q6 is up to lately. Uh, so, can you tell us a little bit about the services, you know, what your company offers, you know, what, what some of your, your clients look like, the sectors that you serve, that kind of thing. I'm just interested to know what you guys are up to. Yes, we, we uh, actually work very uh, proactively with different sectors, uh, you know, mainly the financial sector with both uh, financial institutions, uh, investment firms. Um, so... You know, needless to say, if you have your money invested somewhere in your retirement fund, most likely we're protecting it with that investment firm for the most part. Uh, we also work in, in the e-commerce sector, retail, oil and gas, health industry. So different, different types of sectors. And we're a fraud prevention service. Again, we're very proactive when it comes to uh, identifying stolen account information. That's our main objective to get to, know, to identify these accounts and give that information in advance to that financial institution, for instance, before the fraud happens. So again, it's a very proactive approach. We also look at mule accounts too, identify those mule accounts, the techniques, the tactics that are using the developing in the dark web. For instance, a lot of these forms are private forms, they're shops that we've been on for many years. Most of the people, by the way, at Q6, are former US government military for the most part, or Israeli Defense Forces. We are a global company. We have companies, you know, clients around the world. Also, all types of cyber threats too, by the way. Breach alerts, for instance, third-party breaches that have happened, uh, compromised employee credentials, email credentials. We protect senior executives also from any kind of fraud. And any kind of also incident response when it comes to, for instance, botnet queries, um, victim data feed of, of malware victims. Um, dark web scans. So again, um, we are a niche service. We're a cyber intelligence company uh, that takes a very proactive approach against fraud to mitigate any kind of fraud before it occurs and save these uh, institutions uh, lots of money. Well, thank you for what you do. Uh, it's a valuable service to a lot of people and you're still fighting a good fight just like you did in the government. And trust me, without guys like you, it would be a complete mess out there. I appreciate you. you. Thank you, George. I appreciate the kind words. And again, um, I'm trying to keep up the good fight now in the private sector. It's a whole different world out here, as you would know. Uh, But we're doing everything we can to be very proactive. And again, always share, by the way, we always share intel law enforcement, too. So we're always trying to go after these bad guys still, um, as proactive as we can with law enforcement throughout the world. Well, thank you for your service with the United States Secret Service, what you do today. And thanks for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. we got to have you back soon. Yes, sir. Thank you, George. Thank you for having me. All right, folks. We're out of here. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. 
Be sure to join your host, George Ritas, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 